0: Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, Today's conversation is an important one, and I definitely want to give a disclaimer that this conversation is definitely triggering because it is going to be focused on, um, the phenomenon of school shootings in America. And so, um, initially, uh, myself and, um, Matthew Portel, who is our director of outreach and education with Pace's connection, we're going to discuss, uh, the covenant shooting that happened, um, last week on March 27th, um, as from the perspective of both of us being uh, parents of school-aged children here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but Matthew is under the weather and he is not able to join us today. So um, in his place, I have Dr. Uh, Porter Jennings McGarity and um, Kashana Evans, who are also um, staff members here with PACES, uh, Dr. Jennings McGarrity. She is our director of CQI and community data and Kashana Evans is a new uh, employee. Who this is kind of her um, official coming out. We had um, not <laughs> planned on announcing this position so quickly, but as she's come in to um, to help with this discussion in Matthew's place, um, she is coming in with Paces as our director of um, creating resilient community accelerator. So. Um, They'll be here today to kind of discuss our reactions at Pace's connection to this school shooting, but not just this one, just the phenomenon in general and how um, we seem to be as a country in a space where we are unable to um, protect our children in the school setting. So first, let me come to you, um, Porter, and I just want you to kind of, you know, give any kind of introduction that you have um, to the audience about yourself and your work, but then also what really pushed you or made you want to address this issue um, today?
2: Hi, yes. Thank you for having me, Ingrid. As Ingrid said, my name is uh, Dr. Porter jennings McGarity, and I am the Director of Continuous Quality Improvement and Community Data at Paces Connection. And just as a background, just as an overview, my background is in social work, um, so I have a PhD and a master's in social work uh, for the, the University of Georgia, and so um, my perspective on things um, it very much is shifted by my orientation in the field of social work and coming from a, a social justice perspective, um, and I also am the mother of two young children, so I have two boys that are three and one, Um, And I also lived in Nashville recently. So I currently am in Athens, Georgia, um, but I lived in Nashville um, for about six years up until about a year ago. Um, And so when we are talking about um, the school shootings and and specifically the recent one in Nashville, this is something that um, hit really close to home. And I I can share more about my experience with that. Thank you, Porter. And
1: Kashana. the same question, Um, you know, give the audience kind of your, a bit of your background, but, and then also what connects you to this, to this conversation? So
3: uh, thank you so much for having me, uh, Ingrid. And it's a pleasure to be here with uh, you and Porter. So I am the director of creating resilient communities here at Paces. I'm so proud to say that and announce that to the audience um, and listeners. Um, I do feel deeply connected to the, um, how vulnerable our kids are. Uh, there's, there's not a day that really goes by in my current life as a, as a grown-up, air quote, that I am not thinking, wow, we're not listening, we're not empowering, and as a result, uh, look at the devastation and what can we do about it? So I am pretty passionate to share ideas about strategies. Um, that just becomes very, a very big part of this conversation.
1: Yes. And thank you both for being here and thank you both for being in this space and being vulnerable and and sharing with our audience what this um, looks like for you, how it impacts you and then your perspective on how it's impacting all of us. Um, just to give some background to our audience. Um, like I said before, I am a uh, a parent of a school age child here in in Nashville. The, uh, shooting at um, the Covenant School happened the day before my uh, oldest five-year <laughs> birthday, uh, and so um, the following day, I had to drop her off at school on her birthday, right after um, having a, a school shooting that happened probably about five miles from her school, five or six miles from her school. So. It was a very emotional day for me. Um, and then I also have, you know, one year old twins who, you know, eventually I will go through the process of putting them into school. and and so um, I kind of share Porter's um, perspective, you know, coming from having small children and thinking through you know taking them to school. And then my background is in psychology. so I'm very much wondering, you know, this seems like an American illness to me, that, that, our, that the fact that we are creating in our society, individuals who are going into schools and, and shooting children and adults, um, is, seems like an illness, a mental illness within, our, within our, our country. So I wanted to look at this issue through the lens of, of three, three areas first question is, what is the impact that this is having on, on us and as a society? The next question is, how do we prevent, you know, this phenomenon in, in in our country? And then lastly, what is the response that we should have when we have these types of tragedies happen? So let's start with with impact. I, you know, I want to be very clear that this is, that you know, the Covenant School is not the only school shooting that we've had in in our country. Last year, it was um, you know the the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, um, and we've had you know school shootings in you know for the last thirty years. Um, when we think about school shootings in America. What's the impact on us as individuals and as a society? And Kashana, I'll come to you first. What do you think our, this collective impact is?
3: Um, that's a powerful question. I think um, when it comes to impact, uh, I, I personally have a sort of um, freeze of the fight, flight, freeze. I can often be the rabbit that freezes. Uh, And long after uh, the day of, oftentimes people that do freeze, who already have an experience uh, with trauma, will just sort of take quite some time to come back full circle and to feel like themselves again, or to feel like they're responding with open, air quote, appropriate emotions, you know, meaning able to access tears, able to access responses, able to think under pressure. Um, or able to uh, assess if something feels vulnerable but is not as much as an alarming experience as an original trauma. So on a day of my own experience with trauma, I would just jump out of my body. So it would almost be like I'm I'm watching my experience removed. Um, And so, you know, I, I think what's really concerning is that that's a natural function. It can be, you know, kind of healthy in some ways to protect us as a coping mechanism. But I also, it's devastating. You know, I I want to be, you know, transparent now that you've warned the audience that it's a bit of a trigger warning today. It's so devastating to think about young people that take crayons and lunch pails to school and to have some crisis like this. So I think the day of impact is very much about shock. um, And the importance of us addressing the day of impact is that if we don't, we're then unable to later unpack topics like grief, which is a very big part of uh, what we'll talk about later.
1: Yeah, I definitely understand when you're saved to freeze and, and, and what does it mean for our society to have a kind of a collective disassociation when we have these type of events? Porter, yeah. what does the impact look like for you, either individually or just, you know, the impact on our society as a whole?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think for me, it's really simple and I can sum it up with one word and and it's, and it's that's trauma, um, both for me as an individual. I think that's uh, the impact, also the impact on the community and the impact at, at the systems level. Um, so I, I like to come at things from a systemic perspective. Um, but, but I think, you know, trauma is, is an easy way to sum up the impact that it has on all of us and certainly, um, psychological trauma, but also, um, physical trauma as well, both in regards to, um, you know, the impact that the, that, um, Shootings have, you know, on our physical bodies for those that are um, victims, um, as well as as those that survive, um, and and those that um, experience it as, as a vicarious or secondary trauma. Um, I think for me personally, I just to sh- kind of give a, another perspective and and be vulnerable. Um, this particular. You know, as you said, Ingrid, this, you know, school shootings aren't new. um, And this certainly isn't, you know, the only school shooting that's happened recently. But but this one, I think, hit me the hardest because um, I lived in Nashville and it actually was a school that um, I had looked at for for my boys to go to preschool. And so it just it. Um, hit me really hard um, and there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in that um you know i I also feel some survivor's guilt and I feel bad for feeling so impacted by it because I was fortunate enough that you know not only were my children not there, but you know I, I don't personally know anyone that was that that goes to the school or attends the school um and and so you know there's kind of guilt wrapped up in in being so impacted by it. Um, but, but just kind of, you know, to, to give even more detail of, of, of what that, what the trauma has looked like for me is, um, I remember it was the day after the shooting and I was taking my three-year-old to swim practice. He does swim lessons at, at our local YMCA. Um, and, they, you know, it's loud in the pool area. There's a lot of noises and somebody dropped something and there was a big bang. And and automatically I started looking, you know, for the nearest exits and thinking, OK, what what's my plan of action? How am I going to get us out? And that was the first time that I had been in a situation um where that was just my immediate way of thinking, um, and I've noticed that that you know not just in that that instance, but going forward, wherever you know I am, I'm you know especially when I'm with my kids, the hypervigilance is so strong um, that it's just kind of living in this constant state of um, of, of fear, um, and it's you know that takes a toll uh, on me mentally and physically.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about allostatic load before on our on our podcast. And so just to give a clear, you know, kind of concise definition, allostatic low is, you know, when you're in a state where you are hypervigilant or dealing with stressors on a daily basis, um, the stress of racism, discrimination, the stress of poverty, and in this case, the stress of living in a country that has been inactive in addressing mass school shootings, mass shootings in general, and then definitely school shootings um like this is what happens you you are on alert um and you are mindful that in our world in our in our country we have to be um aware or we have to deal with the issue of you know when i drop my kid off at school i don't know how this day is going to go this is one of the things that i need to worry about upon you know the checklist of being a caregiver or a parent one of those is, you know, mass mascul- shootings in the school setting. Um, Kashana, what are your thoughts about what Porter has said and that impact? Um, I can really appreciate that, uh, Porter.
3: You know, and another thing that really came to mind is that depending on our different lived experiences, we might look okay. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't kind of prepare people for enough. We don't prepare society enough for people that look okay that have been through a trauma or a mass trauma. Uh, You might not know that every time somebody has something strong to say, which is just, they're just kind of maybe being playful, but if it's strong, I panic for the next three hours inside. Um, So there are things like that, that I want to, you know, I think are a very important talking point um, for this type of discussion because oftentimes we have the tendency not to believe kids and what they're feeling. Um, if they are having body aches and sadness, it's very important that we have the skills to actually listen and hear.
1: Yeah. And and also, you know, extending that grace to everyone, like we may look okay, but America is not okay when it comes to this topic. No. Um, we have been ineffective and have been in a state of inaction when it comes to uh, school shootings and and even our actions have been misplaced. So when I think about the things that have been put into place um, when we had you know Columbine, um, which I believe was in the 90s. And the response was, "Oh, we need more um, police and SROs in schools," and then that led to a whole campaign of of um, having uh, police presence in schools because of this uh, school shooting incident. Um, and that has actually just led to you know it you know more incarceration of black and brown youth, and not a you know a, a decrease in in school shootings. We've had more since then. And so our you know those efforts that we even that we do put in place seem to be misguided. Um, Porter what else do you feel is a, um you know when we think about the impact what does that look like for us?
2: Well, I think again sharing from my personal perspective and and um you know others that I've I've talked to just um you know from an anecdotal level are also experiencing this. I think once I kind of you know was able to calm down from threats, you know, feeling like there was a threat to my immediate safety. I think what I started to realize part of why this impacted me so hard is I feel almost like we're witnessing the demise of our humanity. Because, you know, you said something, Ingrid, earlier that we seem as a country unable to um, stop these shootings. I would challenge that and say, I don't think it's that we're unable to at all. We are absolutely able to. We are unwilling. Um, and I don't know how to reconcile that. I don't know. It, it's hard for me to figure out how I keep existing and living in this world and raising children in a world um, and in a, a society that is unwilling to, to stop it. Um, and, and so just trying to come to terms with what, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me as an individual, as a, as a mother, as a professional, um, as a member of society? You know, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, that is an excellent point. That inaction, uh, we've seen other countries, and what comes to mind for me is Australia, that um, where they really did address the issues um, that were put forth. I mean, other countries have had school shootings. You know, we're not alone in that. We, we are kind of alone in this space of inaction, where other areas of the world have been able to put forth policies. They have been able to just flat out round up guns. They, they put programs in place where they could buy back. Uh, they put programs in place where they just said, you know, these are illegal, you gotta go turn them in. And that's, that's that because they were willing to put um, children before guns. Uh, and, and so yeah, you're right, this is an issue of inaction. Um, Kishana, what are your, what are your thoughts on kind of the society level impact here?
3: You know, I really love here. I love, you know, Porter, you and I, I'm seeing almost as these two selves that have had such different experiences. I'm not a parent. Um, I have not lived in Tennessee. I do not have small children. I'd love to be you know, a parent one day, but also I find that there's like the sort of hidden side of having experienced my own trauma uh, at the hands of law enforcement. And so the conversations coming up about could it have been, you know, prevented, which we're going to talk about momentarily. But I think the feeling I have is that I'm, I understand that I'm grasping for the luxury of those feelings. And I don't feel them. Uh, for various reasons. And the main reason being, if you are black slash African American, and I identify as black slash African American, you're not allowed to show emotions, you're not allowed to cry, or you're sort of labeled. Um, And I think when large things happen like this in society, it's one way that society can cope, because it's doing such a great job at subduing different folks, whether it's what Porter said, which is through guilt, um, whether it's, you know, making all the wrong choices. So I think it takes me several days to process and identify my feelings. And then that leaves me, you know, opposite of Porter's guilt, which I, survivor's guilt, which I totally also agree with and feel, I feel disconnected and I have to then confront how I feel different and disconnected. Um, and it's, it's not a happy, it's not a happy feeling. It's not an easy thing to embrace.
1: Yeah. And this is a, a complex topic and I, because when we add issues of diversity and race into this conversation, this is where things get very interesting. I've had talks since the um, shooting here in Nashville and I had to, you know, really discuss childhood trauma. And um, that's generally what my talks are about. But in the talks that I've had since then, there you can see that people are extreme, you know, people are hurting, right? About this, this latest shooting. And um, and I understand the hurt. And I, and but I also identify with you, Kashana, in that this feeling of being disconnected because of our history um as a, a marginalized group and i'm sure this is something that's similar the other marginalized groups experience i feel a disconnect because you know we're, we're talking about children being murdered and we're talking about it as it you know it might be like it's a new phenomenon and and it's not you know maybe the said it happening in a school setting maybe but you know in america you know indigenous and black children have been murdered from a you know before the inception of this country, and it's been extremely acceptable um and and I you know not just through kind of the obvious things that we think about with slavery and um the genocide of indigenous people when you know we settled here, but through other means through oppression um, creating environments where there's more gun violence in certain neighborhoods than others um, through the reconstruction era where, you know, black children were lynched for, you know, doing childlike things. Um, And and so I do feel disconnected and feel like I struggle to stay um, connected to the pain of it. I I can easily disassociate. Um, So this is this is a, a complex topic and it is you know, a symptom of of an American illness that we have. Um, and, and that even ties to kind of how we see guns. I remember, and this is a good example of my morbid humor. Uh, I remember being in a restaurant um, where we were on a double date with some of my husband's friends. And this was years ago, it's a long time ago when we were first beginning to have this gun control debate. And, um, the people that i were that I were meeting with they were they were a white couple, and me and my husband are a black couple, and they were at a loss to as to why we were even having this issue, like why can we not just give up our guns if it's going to be if we're getting this bad and i'm and I want to say that this was easily eight years ago and i I made it as a joke, and it was inappropriate joke. but I said, America's not going to give up their guns because they believe that that's how they keep themselves safe from black and brown people. And it was, and it went over like a lead balloon at the table, but, um, but it it helped us to begin a conversation around what is our fascination with this, in this country with guns? And is it about, you know, whether or not uh, the government is going to, you know, we need to be able to form militias to protect ourselves against the government, or is there something more to it? Um, and so, it's a very complex topic. So, you know,
3: I do feel like I you know, you need the lead balloon jokes. You need to cut cut, cut straight to it sometimes. I do feel like um, there is a sort of disconnect. So I know we're going to be talking about prevention and maybe this is teases out that topic. But some of the issue here is that we've politicized human rights. Um, We've marginalized certain groups, even trying to convince them that they are a different race in order to, you know, achieve labor groups. You know, the things that are like, oh, great, if they're a labor group and they're not considered the same as the white race, great, we're always going to have free or cheap labor, right? And that's had really a a horrific fallout. But I also feel like if folks that are so convinced that it is about more guns, um, automatic weapons, in fact, why wouldn't we then be teaching self-defense and having policies that legalize that? Uh, I think to me, if, if you put me in a room and say, here are your choices, it's important to have three balanced choices if if this is the society we want to be in, because the amount of people that have to fight through violence just on a day-to-day basis, and then the expense, the life-changing, you know, the expense of life-changing violence, the therapy, the you can't keep a job, you're now battling with your depression, anxiety, you've fallen out with your family because, you know, you're you're supposed to be strong and now you are not seen as strong. You're seen as somebody who's grieving all the time, which is that G word. So um, there's so much to it. And it's it's very unfortunate. And it's senseless, but this is very much about an addiction to control, an addiction to harming, because this country was built on trafficking other humans, however we want to say it. So it is that lead balloon acknowledgement, funny, not funny, but this is our truth.
1: Yes. Yeah. Porter, I'll let you kind of close this up before we jump onto our our break.
2: Yeah, I think it, you know, y'all are y'all are both hitting it it points. I think it gets down to um, our country has the people in our country have, you know, want guns because ultimately at the end of the day, they feel like that is the ultimate um, tool that they can use to maintain power so that those that, you know, that, that the status quo can remain on top. Um, and that's, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's not new. It's changed shape, maybe what it looks like over time. But, but ultimately, it's all about, um, it, it's not about needing it for safety, right? Because we could create a, a society in which we are all safe. But it's about a desire for those that are, that are in positions of power to stay on top and, and, and to maintain that power, uh, which means someone has, has to be on the bottom, someone has to be underneath. Um, and, 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 and I think that's what it boils down to.
3: Until we dismantle it, Porter, yes, <laughs> until we dismantle that construct,
1: yes, it's that that control dynamic that hierarchy has always been there, and it and it and it and it intersects, right, we have race, but then there's also childism, which means that children don't have rights, who's there to protect their rights, and so um this has been uh. A very interesting, complex conversation. We're going to go to break. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit more about what prevention looks like. And then what is the response that communities can have when they are the community of the the hour that has one of these school shootings. So we'll be right back after the break. Thank you.
0: In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past. On history, culture, and trauma, Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast, we will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for history, culture, and trauma Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel.
3: life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
0: voice america is on linkedin connect
2: with us today have you become a member yet sign up now to become a member of voice america it's always free and easy
0: listening to history culture and trauma with ingrid cochran if you have questions for ingrid or her guests or want to share your story join us on the show at 866-472-5791 that's 866-472-5791 now back to the show here again is ingrid cochran
1: we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion today really focused on uh, the impact of school shootings here in America, especially the most recent, which was at the Covenant School here in Nashville, Tennessee. I have with me doctors, uh, Dr. Porter Jennings McGarity and Kashana Evans, who are both um, employees with Pace's Connection. So re- really this is kind of Pace's Connection reacts to kind of this situation that our country has gotten themselves in around school shootings. Um, In the first half, we talked about kind of the impact and how it's impacting us as individuals, our our individual trauma response, but then also our collective trauma response where we really um, have moved into a a place of inaction, how we've kind of disassociated, how we're losing our humanity as we don't address this issue, um, and also how You know the allostatic load the stress of living in a society where schools are not safe and so as we come back we want to talk a little bit more about you know what does prevention look like um there's something to say that we have so many people who are uh, in a place where they will go into a school and harm children uh, in our society Um, what does that say about our society how Can we change in a way to prevent this phenomenon? And and what does that change look like? And so uh, I want to give some space. Um, um, Porter, please tell us what that looks like, especially as you said before, kind of through a social work lens. How do we prevent school shootings?
2: Sure. Well, I think um, you know it's it's a, a multifaceted. I think the first um, step is is you know getting to the roots of social work and looking at things from a macro and policy perspective. And and you know it's 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 a simple answer, and and that is um, stricter gun control. So, um rat of you know drastically drastically ratifying um, policies in our country um, regarding guns. Um, that's the first step, um, you know. Obviously, that um, is much easier said than done for some of the reasons that we've talked about, and so, um, you know, I think it's naive to think that um, that kind of radical shift that we need to see, um, you know, the the um, rapid response that we could if we were to, you know, quickly change um, you know, policies um is not very likely. So I think uh, you know, while we are working on hopefully shifting um the culture, our culture and, and society's perspectives on that, I think um the the second kind of step to that um is is responding you know to prevention of, of gun violence um in a from a public health perspective. Um and so treating the gun violence epidemic like any other public health issue that um that that um, we face in our country. Um, So first of all, recognizing that it's a problem, uh, that it is what it is, and that it's also preventable um, and that, you know, the prevention involves, um, you know, a multitude of of comprehensive solutions across system levels. Um, So it's going to take, action um at you know at the the community level as well as um at the individual level to engage in in um preventative strategies and so specifically um looking at you know systemically reducing risk associated um with uh communities that experience high amounts of of gun violence um, and also working to increase resilience
1: yeah the you know obviously kind of the the no brainer here is to have less guns in our society. So I definitely see your point there. And that has also been the strategy in other places in the world where um, they were, have been able to essentially, um, you know, bring gun violence down to, you know, statistical zero. Um, It has been through a very coordinated, extensive um, buyback programs and, uh, you know, having a, Pretty much ban on on these types of weapons um and and then you know and gun violence is a public health issue it is not only that but it's also contagious so there's plenty of evidence that we have on how to address a public health issue um and so this does go back to what you were saying before about it is definitely preventable and has been done in other places in the world, so we just need to have the collective will to do it here. Uh, Kashana, what are your thoughts on what prevention would look like in America?
3: Uh, it's, that's such a powerful question. Um, my own, you know, childhood growing up for a part of the time in a private religious school um, is really, you know, just kind of very present right now. One of the things that I can't help but think is, are we believing our kids when they say they don't feel good, they feel upset, something feels wrong, whether we're talking about somebody who would eventually experience this violence or perpetuate this violence, I can't help but wonder what did that look like for them to say, hey, something's wrong, something's off, I'm frustrated. No one's listening to my pain. No one's listening to my rage. Um, And I I just can't help but think in a society that has so many coping mechanisms that are gaslighting, spiritual bypassing, anything to avoid and sort of get back to that entertainment so that we can feel safe and not have to confront these uncomfortable or painful situations. So for prevention, what does an eight-year-old do? What does a 10-year-old do at your school or organization? What does a 13-year-old do? And when they graduate and they say, hey, this was happening, what is the course of action? Are they believed? Are they supported? And is there follow-through that is appropriate? Also, um, we keep avoiding educating young people who are deeply intelligent and very creative beings. We're not educating them about addiction. Right, So it's not just air quote guns, it's an addiction to power, an addiction to harm, it's triggers, there are lots of things to unpack. And I'm not saying that every second grader needs a PhD in psychology, however, there are a lot of creative um, and expressive therapies and therapeutic approaches to helping people be familiar with this type of thing so they can understand their own feelings, they can kind of read the room and understand the feelings in their friends and their teachers, their counterparts. This is what makes a healthy community is if we are seeing one another, if we are hearing one another, and if we appreciate that connection and if we can be present to that, that to me is a powerful prevention and one that I think could actually feel really, really great for people, whether they have a tragedy or just on a day to day basis. What a wonderful concept.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that I appreciate about the conversation that we're having today is that it's a good blend of spirit and science. And I think that this is a good example of what's needed to address the issues that we have um, around violence in general, including um, school shootings, because this is the reason why it's so polarizing is because of this mixture of, of, of spirit and science. We know for sure that um, the issue of school shootings here is obviously about access to guns, but it's also about kind of the the illness of our society that we are we have environments that create um, the likelihood of this happening, um, which I think is is a bit of a spiritual issue that um, that we are have abandoned. Our sense of collective care. We're not taking care of each other as a society. And the reason why is because we are exclusive and not inclusive. We have because of of our origins and our past, we have created a society that is not for everyone. Um, And because of that, we have kind of fallen into all the ways that we engage in tribalism. Um, And so that's Some people are worthy and some people are not. Um, Some people should be heard and some people shouldn't. Um, And that there's there's no gray area. There's only a right way to be and a wrong way to be. And so much of our human experience is gray. And that's especially true for children. Uh, And so we have to create room for lots of different types of people and room means acceptance and being inclusive and also creating environments where people can identify their feelings at a young age. They can um, connect in a real way and that we are very clear about how um, there is no right and wrong way to be. Um, so that we don't ostracize and alienate each other and create this disconnect from society. Um, talk a little bit more about this, about, you know, kind of the influence that we're creating and what does it mean for us to prevent school shooting?
2: Yes. Um I, I think you really hit on something when you um talk about just our the extreme um nature of individualism that um we are we are seeing kind of underlying the at the forefront of, of our values as a society. We've lost um, you know, I feel like any sense of, of, of collectivism. And I think that, you know, the scientific Response to prevention—that's the easy part, right? I mean, I say easy in quotes, but that's the easy part. It's going to be that kind of spiritual, the more humanistic aspect that that you all have both referenced. That's going to be the tougher part, and I think the way towards getting at that is going to have to be inculcating in us a, a stronger sense of collectivism. Um, and I I think that in order to do that, we you know one of the things we need to do is look at what. You know what are the factors that have made us as a society so individualistic, um, and I think we would be remiss not to to look at the you know the impact of of our economy and and capitalism in in perpetuating this notion of individualism and this divisiveness, um, and, and so taking into account you know how, how does how does something that you know maybe at the surface you know like the economy that you know maybe doesn't you know at face value seem related to this issue, um, you know how does it relate?
1: Yes, that is something we haven't touched on just yet. When we think about prevention at the end of the day, a lot of our um, inaction when it comes from our political um, leaders is driven uh, around capitalism about, you know, who supports these politicians, how the NRA is uh, funneling money into the political process. Um, And so that greed is essentially in 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 many ways in our country um, has led us down a path where there's a lot of money in politics. and now it makes it harder to get things done because you have um, corporate and organizational backing when it comes to issues like this one in particular uh, of of gun control, we're unable to to deal with this issue because we have, you know, corporate. And organizational engines behind it saying, you know, we've got to keep guns in the hands of every American. Not only that, but when we have mass shootings, um, maybe not school shootings in particular, but mass shootings, you will see an increase in gun sales every time. And so uh, it, it is something to say that we need to think through how greed is at the center of this issue, how our, our capitalist system. Um, perpetuates uh, this um, our inaction and also how we have now and always have prioritized um, money over people uh, in in our in our society and and even our children are not safe from from this um, which is which is um, painful and not now, but they've never been um me and my husband were talking a little bit about this a while back. And one of the things that I brought up was Kent State and how um, whenever young people in America aren't on board with whatever the status quo is, they are subject to being treated poorly as well. And so we think about vulnerable populations. We tend to think, again, BIPOC. Um, But children and young people are a vulnerable population in this society and always have been as well. Let's, you know, prevention, you know, obviously as someone who comes from this from child development, I always think about parenting and intergenerational transmission of trauma and how, you know, this is also deeply rooted in child abuse and neglect, uh, especially emotional neglect um, and physical abuse. So uh, as we create better environments for our children, As we disconnect from corporate greed, as we parent in a way that allows us to break intergenerational chains around violence and and neglect and disassociation, then we create better environments. I want to spend this last bit of time that we have together looking at, like looking ahead. What does the response look like? How do we move forward? How do we heal? And so, um, when we have these types of situations that happen in a community, what does it look like for that community to heal? and then also, what is it like for our nation as a whole to heal? and so, Kashan, I'm gonna start with you on this question. What does healing look like? How do we respond moving forward?
3: It's a powerful question. Um, I am
1: not a parent,
3: so for the audience and listeners just uh, you know chiming uh, just hopping on, I'm not a parent, and I think my my opinion and my view, and the opinions and views of folks who don't have kids, are very important, right? Because if we look at ourselves like an expanded human family, which we are, there's a whole interconnected um, opportunity for us to see each other, hear each other, support each other. Um, you know, I think for response, healing looks like normalizing appropriate grief. So, by normalizing appropriate grief, I mean, let's just say we're in a triple demic. So, if I'm at work and someone just starts crying on a meeting, I'm not going to chastise them. I'm not going to make them feel bad. Like, what's wrong with you? If I am trauma informed and I'm exercising trauma informed awareness, I'm going to understand grief happens, right? And it's important for us to get comfortable with it. Um, Some of us, I will just go ahead and confess, I'm an awkward griever. It takes me years. I mean, my sister passed away about seven years ago, and I'm just rounding a corner each time it's a birthday-death day that I'm able to feel and listen in and have powerful spiritual experiences that are really precious to my growth, my personal development. So I do think we need to break the ice hug, hold hands, don't shame people. We have to be very mindful of stigma. We should be very mindful of responding with the awareness that labels are harmful. So just understand media might say this many victims were impacted, but it's really not a signal for us to start calling one another the V word, right? That can be very limiting. That can make people feel very, um, like they can't have control of their own heroic story of finding their next new chapter and kind of having a new soft landing on their feet. So those are the, a few things that mental health stigma for those that do survive, or who might be awkward grievers, or they're just finding their way with the process, and it doesn't look like everyone else's. That's a big part of just allowing access.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that. I- You know, um, the grief process, being able to create room and space for a community to grieve properly is so important. It makes me think back to the Sandy Hook massacre and how the parents and the families of those children weren't able to grieve in our society because they were immediately kind of attacked um, so much so, you know, attacked in the media, attacked by politicians because uh they were kind of scapegoated as you know the problem with the Miracle or that the Sandy Hook massacre wasn't real your children didn't really die um and and i just couldn't imagine and and I, when you know, recently one of the fathers uh, um took his own life and and you can obviously see that that was because he might have not have had the space to grieve properly because instead he had to work <laughs> and create um you know, a nonprofit and to to rally against gun violence in America, as opposed to being able to breathe in the in the public space. Um, Porter, what are your thoughts on how we respond as a community and engage in collective healing?
2: Yeah, I think um, it's it's what you all have hit on, and it's it's um, you know it the need for um, a trauma-informed response and healing, um, again, across system levels. So, at the individual level, but also, you know, in the community level, but also at the systems level. So, in addition to um, thinking about, you know, okay, <clears throat> what does grief look like? How might be this be impacting the individuals that I, you know, come into contact with on a daily basis? Also, the systems. Um, so, for example, I think, you know, after, after um, the school shooting in Nashville, you know, an example of of a traumatized system that we're seeing is, um, you know, the the um, Tennessee legislature and and the response that they had. um, And, you know, in in politicians singling out and and trying to, you know, dismiss three other politicians, that's that's evidence of a a system of our um, democratic system um, in trauma. And so looking at also how do we respond to systems that are in states of trauma you know, in in addition to to the example of the, our political system, also just the educational system as a whole, um, and, and thinking about you know how how that um how we respond to that.
1: Yeah, thank you, Porter. And I want to talk about you know as we look to what it means to move forward, um, that trauma informed practices are are really. Um, kind of the standard. And and again, they are multi-sector. So Porter, I I definitely agree with what you're saying. What does it mean? And also you, Kashana, because you talked about workplaces specifically. What does it mean to be wherever I am and have a trauma-informed response, trauma-informed environment? Uh, And this is going to be crucial as you move forward, especially if we're going to continue in this space of inaction. I remember when we, um, last year, Um, when, um, the, um, schoolmaster at Uvalde in Uvalde, Texas, you know, at the time I was CEO at Paces, we really just took the day off. Um, we, we came together, we had a check-in as a staff, and I just knew we're not going to get any work done today. We're not going to be productive today and that's okay. And so we're taking the day off. Um, and it's important for us to, as a collective, to understand that this is where we are that we need to um, incorporate trauma-informed practices um, as, a, as a as a society as a whole if anywhere everywhere um, not just uh you know in schools not just at work um, and then we also need to think about um the collective healing piece so what does it mean for us to heal as a collective that means that we have to let go of tribalism if we think about what it means to address gun violence in our country, right? If we had addressed gun violence in the 80s when it was mostly um, Black and Latino communities that were being plagued with gun violence, uh, and if we had addressed it with science then, then we may not be experiencing this level of school shootings today because we would have already put in place um, the, the policies and procedures that we needed to address it. Instead, we didn't believe that those children those black and brown children were important that that they needed saving. Instead, we let it fester and now it's mainstream. And so I'm going to to close out and I want to leave everyone with this statistic. We've had already 36 incidents of school shootings uh, in America. Um, And so we'll leave with that. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.